we got a message on Facebook from Trent who was sharing. He wanted us to know that he was uh, sharing in the festive drinking spirit. He was drinking a Sam Adams. He was drinking a Sam, Sam Adams pumpkin ale while watching Halloween Part Two. So I thought that was a, uh, you know, it's very festive. I appreciated that. Um, Definitely festive. You know, not whether, my choice, but. <laughs> Hey, I have a very broad palate, and I've definitely drank Sam Adams pumpkin before. Actually, that, the Sam Adams brewery is not that far from me, so they yeah, got some good stuff. There was a pretty funny Sam Adams pumpkin yeah. ale skit on SNL this weekend. So I saw that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> that was really funny. I liked yeah, that. That was pretty good. They uh, really captured those uh, Southside Boston, Boston guys. <laughs> yeah. At the grocery store. I love it. Yeah, it was fun stuff. Have you started Bly Manor yet? Yes, I've done two episodes so far. Um, I'm loving it. I like it. How how far have you gotten? I've gotten in three. I've been watching them on the iPad, like while Stephanie, uh, she falls asleep early because she has to get up early. So I'll like watch them on the iPad with my headphones in, and I I, I feel like I can only watch it when it's dark. Right? It needs to be like it needs to feel spooky up for me to get the full effect. I agree. I agree. We started watching it at nighttime, and the only other time I would watch it is if I can do it in the basement with all the blinds closed so it feels like it's dark. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Awesome. Cool. All right, you want to do this? Yeah, let's dive in. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show, American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host. Chris Husted. What's up, everyone? Happy Halloween Part 2. What's up, Tyler? <laughs> hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Um, I think today, uh, in the Midwest at least, is going to be the last warmish fall day for a while. Um, so it's kind of fun. The leaves are really falling big time. So it's really setting the mood. I was so happy to watch this episode this week. Nice. Um, how are things going for you? Yeah, New England has been in, in the fall spirit for a while. I think I told you that we, um, a few weeks or a couple weeks ago now, we took a, a trip kind of upstate New York through the foliage and stuff like that. That was always really, uh, it's, I don't know. I love leaves. I love seasons. Love Halloween. It's so exciting. Yeah. So it's such a weird year. What do you think is, um, weird? Did we talk about, uh, if you're doing costumes this year or not? Uh, we haven't talked about it yet. Um, I think right now we're doing a family costume. <laughs> uh, we found, or well, Sarah found a baby's little outfit that's a cow, and she's gonna make her, Sarah's gonna make herself a cow. So there's a chance I might be a farmer, but I find that a little too patriarchy. Um, <laughs> uh, so I might be. A, a cow or a bull. I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's some, some farm type of a thing. But baby's going to be a cow. Sarah's probably going to be a cow because she jokes that she is the dairy right now. And I will be some sort of creature that fits in in that world. What about you? <laughs> I don't know that we've actually settled on costumes this year. Um, for uh, our dog, Barley, I mean, she's got a whole array of costumes from past years that, you know, are hits we could revisit. She's got a great dinosaur one. She's got a great genie one, so we'll have to pick and see what's best. But I did oh do another God, Halloween. I, act- I did do another Halloween activity recently that I thought you would think is cool. Um, we went to a drive-in movie, which I had actually never been to a drive-in movie before. But this um, old theater in our area is doing like a pop-up outside the city. Um, but the po- the so the drive-in movie was Vertigo, the Alfred Hitchcock movie, oh, classic. Love, love it. it. My- 
Yep. But they did it at the site of the old um, Medfield State Hospital, which is like this. It's where they filmed Shutter Island. It's this. It was the f- like the first insane asylum in New England, um, and now it's everything's. It's but it's huge. There's like sixty buildings. It's a giant ass campus, um, and now it's like completely closed. But they put like these creepy candles in the windows, and you can walk around the campus uh, before oh, wow. the movie and stuff. It was really awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, that's my favorite Hitchcock film for sure, and. Oh man, that sounds like the perfect October activity. It was great. It was, and it felt like fall and everything. So I posted a little video of the campus on my Twitter. If anyone wants to go check that out, but I thought it was pretty sweet. So tight. I would, I would love to do that, and then go to San Francisco and go hit up all the spots where it takes place in the movie. Totally, totally. Uh, okay, so before we dive into Halloween Part Two, where so much to talk about, which is really exciting. A couple key things I wanted to hit. Um, the first one was we had a couple questions, one from Joe via email, another uh, from Carolyn via Facebook. People are asking us, you know, what we think. Why is Moira's situation with her bones being on the property different from the other ghosts? Because there's other people who died on the property too, obviously, and we don't really see anybody else going through this whole situation where they're trying to get their remains moved one place or another. So I have maybe a couple ideas, but I'm wondering if you had any thoughts around that. Mm. It seems like Mora is one of those unfinished business people with issues that are off the property. And that's maybe why she feels so tormented. You know, at the end of this episode, we do have that great final scene where all the ghosts are coming back to the property after as Halloween is ending. And there are multiple references of like, well, you know, we're to- we're going to be tormented for life here. That is just what they're their thing in life is although the other people we don't spend as much time with them I, with the exception of maybe chad who says a lot of things in this episode about how he's destined to just have this life with the marriage to a sex addict where he all he wanted was a nice house and now he's focused on this house and that's that's what his unfinished business is i guess i'm not sure but moira seems to transcend that and be a little more familial off campus if you will um that maybe that's why she's a little more caught up in getting her bones off because she understands the bigger picture more. What, what are your theories? My thought is that maybe, you know, everyone else who's d- died on the, on the house premises presumably is buried elsewhere, right? So in a lot of ways, it's like their soul is mm. trapped in the house, but not their bones. And I'm wondering mm. if there's a different effect in that way, you know, um, because if we, pay, you know, Moira is the only one who we see in two different ages basically and i mean there's other mm-hmm. theories too we've talked about based on you know eye of the beholder situation but i also wonder if it has something to do with you know um everybody else whose soul is just trapped there is more like under under the control of the house but it seems like moira seems to have a little bit more leeway i mean you know she places him on the grave with the shovel um to try to dig up the bones and actually i think i don't remember if we talked about it last episode or this I had it in my notes here, but someone had mentioned that to us that, um, you know, Moira's after with the coffee, she's putting him on the grave with the shovel. So she seems, and she seems to be around a lot more than a lot of the other ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas some of them only appear on Halloween. Some of them only appear as the house dispatches them. So she, she, she seems to have almost more freedom in that way. Um, but obviously is more bound to the house too, because her body, her bones are there. So I think it's almost like she's in a different situation, maybe in my mind. Um, That's a good point. And I'm trying to remember now from Apocalypse, if she... Uh, when she finally gets her bones moved, if she's like, if she escapes from the house or not permanently, I kind of think she does. Don't you? Isn't that? I think she does because, and again, this is awful, but also if you haven't watched it yet and you're just starting with this, this is fine. But um, 
doesn't she end up in the graveyard next to her mother and they like reconnect at the gravesite? Right, and that wasn't Halloween. So I think you're abs- I think you're right. I think so. So it's a different situation for some reason where her soul is just trapped for you know the time being. It's not actually captured by the house, so to speak, the same way the others are. So interesting. Yeah. I don't know. That was a good question, though. Um, and this yeah, was another. Is. This was another good comment from William on Facebook. He said that um, for the Chad and Patrick couple, that Ryan Murphy originally wanted Neil Patrick Harris and David Burka to play Chad and Patrick. <laughs> But apparently uh, they turned it down because they had just played a bickering couple, excuse me, in something else that he can't recall exactly what it was. And they didn't want to do it again. Um, So I thought that was an interesting interesting. little side fact. Yeah. And then also he pointed out that, the you know, we've talked about, you know, um, whatever Charles Montgomery is is huffing. He said that what he he thinks that Charles Montgomery is huffing is ether, which can be used as an anesthetic, but it can also be huffed like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Or ether, like, like paint to get high. So I thought that was a great comment. Right. And the final comment from Facebook, uh, from Jenna on Facebook is, you know, she pointed out, and this is a spoiler for people who haven't watched Apocalypse yet, so just beware. Um, she points out that Addie's death obviously has a lot of parallels to Michael's death in Apocalypse in that Constance tries to drag Addie's body back to the house so her spirit can be stuck there. And obviously in Apocalypse, when Michael begs Constance to drag him his body back to the house, she does not. So it's almost a kind of... Um, full circle, it, it kind of completes Constance's story in some ways, in, in a little bit more subtle way than maybe we even realize when watching Apocalypse. I love that. That's And I had forgotten about that, but the, the parallels there and the choices that are made that are di- much different. Um, and and it, it's funny because Addie, you know, didn't want to be a ghost. She essentially, Constance did the opposite of what the person wanted, mm-hmm. where Addie wanted to be to die and not be a ghost because it sounded so sad and yet Constance tried to make her a ghost and then Michael wanted to be preserved forever and whatever he would be after he died and she said no I'm not going to allow your wish to be what you want Right, Uh, but she actually succeeded that time (laughs) with what she wanted yeah yeah totally also Um, it's fun Neil Patrick Harris we mentioned him but he ended up he ended up joining American Horror Story eventually and I believe Freak Show was the first time we see him Freak Show he was the magician yeah right Mm -hmm. um so great comments. Thank you so much to everybody who's sending us messages. Again, you can always send your thoughts and questions to us at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com or you can post them or message them to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thisamericanhorrorstory. So thanks to everybody for that. Um, now, Chris, before we dive into Halloween part two, what are you drinking this evening? I'm drinking some local apple cider that I've heated up. It's from this CSA box that we get um, every week, and it was a specialty item we received. I don't have the label or the brand that I could tell you right now. I wish I could because I'd love to promote these local um, purveyors, but uh, I did not sneak any bourbon into it today. It's been a kind of a busy day <laughs> around my house, but I will tell you it is delicious, and it tastes like fall. And I'm definitely going to have another uh, mug of this after after we're done what are you drinking that's fantastic um well you know normally i would be joining you in apple cider at this time of the year but as you know i've been on the west coast for the past couple of weeks dealing with some family issues and so um while i'll be back in uh, on the east coast next week i've been uh, enjoying some of the west coast offerings in the meantime my mother-in-law bought me a beer that has a monster on the can i'm not sure if you can see this it's i love it the brewery so it feels you know it's kind of got a little bit monster mash halloween vibe to it so i was digging that when i was hell yeah diving into uh what kind of beer is it so it's a hazy ipa totally chill nice. hazy ipa so it's it's tasty and it's the perfect uh little bit juicy fall uh, flavor for this episode now 
Yeah. Man, so much to talk about. We actually have a pretty short cold open, so I'm wondering if, I mean, it picks up exactly where we left off last time. Do you want to pick it up right there? Sure, yeah. We pick up pretty much at the end of where part one left off. Violet, uh, I'll just kind of briefly hit it. Violet lets Tate in um, right after a hand almost like grabs her from underneath the bed. And there's theories about who that is, but I looked it up to find out that it actually is supposed to be Hayden who's sticking her hand out, according to Ryan Murphy. So. Oh, I was going to ask you, but then I started doing some research, and then Ryan Murphy already said who it was. So instead of asking you, I'm just going to tell you. It's supposed to be Hayden. <laughs> um, and this is also with Rubber, Rubber Man was behind her, too, and obviously nothing happened. And then there. he disappeared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Total Michael Myers move. Um, and uh, and then um, they meet, and they Violet and Tate meet. They chat. Uh, he gives her a black rose, and essentially he's like, you're ready to go on the date? And if we remember, they were going to planning to go on a date on this day, which now was also technically the same day that Tate had met with Ben at the coffee shop. So this is the, as we know, the day that the ghosts can walk the world, mm-hmm. the earth. Um, so that kind of ends them. And then Bivy, ben, Bivian, <laughs> ben and Vivian show up, um, as we know, and they uh, walk right. And I didn't notice this the first time this last episode. They walk right into the front door with the alarm going off. So Violet had locked the door but maybe she left it open and when she left or didn't lock it on the way out or the ghosts or just it doesn't matter if you lock a door at this house because people will get in Addie could get in for crying out loud um anyway and then we catch right up to um uh where Hayden or Ben goes the door opens the door Hayden is there and that's was the big cliffhanger for last episode um Ben and Vivian are kind of figuring out what to do. Ben grabs a knife to go deal with the pumpkin situation out front. Um, and Vivian says, are you going to kill them? Like talking about the kids that might have been doing this, which is obviously a lie. Um, and Vivian says, you know, what? I'm going to go take a bath. And in the morning, you know, we're, we're going to talk about you moving out. Uh, ben moving out. Uh, and then he gets a little flustered about it and says he's not giving up on this family. He's not giving up. And then that's the end of our cold open. Yeah. Uh, a couple additional just little things I wrote down here. One was, and I, I think we see this in the last episode, Halloween Part 1 as well, but with rubber, the scene with Rubber Man behind um, Violet, there's a series of jump cuts that like zoom in, so like jump, 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 zoom in on it. And it kind of gives this off-putting... Uh, traditional kind of horror movie feeling to it and I, I i enjoyed that and i wanted to call out um the director in this episode was the same director as part one it's david semmel and this episode was written by tim minier who we know is a longtime american horror story writer uh, so that's different because james wong wrote episode one mm-hmm. Minier wrote which episode is two, but, mm-hmm. an incredible to think about like how one and two really I, we can talk about this at the end but really work well together with two different writers writing separate sections that never worked in college where we would each write our own section and then just kind of fuse them together. Yeah. It didn't seem as coherent. Anyway, continue. Totally. Um, And the other question, so I was going to ask you, you're totally right that like, you know, Ben, by the end of this, you know, Vivian finally puts her foot down. She's going to boot Ben out of the house. He's like, you know, he's too, he's so committed to the family. He's not giving up on the family. I'm wondering if, I don't know. He has said before, you know, he, he told Tate last episode, you know, and I'm wondering if this is what you think is behind his statement here. You know, he was a troubled kid like Tate and he um, found himself and, you know, his family is the best thing that's ever happened to him, basically. Um, 
I don't know. I'm doing a little bit of psychoanalysis here on psychoanalysis here on Ben because I'm trying to figure out like why is he so committed to his family? And if he is so committed to his family, why did he put it in jeopardy again and again and again? And I, we talked about this a little bit last episode too, but I'm just wondering if you have any other thoughts on that because this is when it really comes to a head at this particular yeah. moment and in this episode. I think part of it is he might feel like he has imposter syndrome, which where you know you you are living this life that you don't think you deserve and you're just in, in, uh, impersonating someone else's life that doesn't feel like you. But it's something maybe that you do want. You just don't feel like you've deserved it. And we've heard him say that. Um, and I, part of that bleeds into who we know he kind of actually is, which is this guy who, I, don't, I mean, I, I read something that drew parallels between Vivian and Chad and Ben and Patrick, where Ben, sorry, Patrick, God damn it, where You're right, Vivian, yeah. Vivian and Chad are both married to sex addicts. And I don't know if I would say like completely sex addicts, but people who are addicted to a certain type of connection with other people, which turns out to be sex. The, the uh, Patrick definitely seems like a sex addict. Um, <laughs> ben, I don't think he's that extreme, but he definitely has this thing that this fix that he needs to get and he's found it with Hayden. Um, hence it feeds into this imposter syndrome where he doesn't feel like he deserves his family, even though he, I think I do, I do believe he desperately wants it and to, and to save it, but he just inherently genetically isn't wired to make that happen because he's making shitty choices. What, what do you think? No, I think that you hit the nail on the head there. And I think that is what they're trying to hint at in the, in that, scene with Tate last time. I think both of you and I commented we weren't huge fans of that scene because they try to make Ben seem like the cool teacher with his smoking a cigarette and a leather jacket stuff like yeah. that. So I feel like it maybe falls flat a little bit in that moment, even though I think the heart behind it is supposed to be authentic and is what's driving his character forward. So I think you really hit it with that. Now, for the body of the episode, I divided this into kind of the Ben, um, Vivian, Hayden timeline. Violet. Mm-hmm. And I and I kind of put the Tate Violet timeline as a as the secondary one that we'll talk about after because that's they're, they're a little bit distinct and we can separate them in that way. Yeah. Um. Just yeah. so we're not kind of jumping back and forth. Um. You know. So the actual heart of the episode starts off with Ben beating the crap out of Larry. Like he really is at this point embracing kind of the demon inside of him. Maybe because he feels like there's nothing left to lose because Vivian already told him he's out of the house completely. Um. Mm-hmm. He's taking that out on. Larry just a little bit. Um, And Larry almost pleads with Ben to kill him. And I was wondering, do you think that that was authentic? Or do you think Larry was taunting Ben? Like, you don't really have it in you. I, you know, I'd have to go back and watch the scene because, you know, a lot of Ben, a lot of each of the Harmon's arcs. So in this episode, Ben's arc, Vivian's arc, and Violet's arc is them realizing the situation of the ghosts in the house. And Larry does taunt him and say like oh you don't even know you need to think outside of your you know uh medical perspective here you there's a lot bigger things going on than you than you understand so i think he is taunting him to kill him to kill larry himself but i don't know if he maybe he's doing that because he knows he won't i don't think larry wants to die he wants money you know (laughs) or he wanted the thousand dollars and you know i mean he killed his family there we know that but I don't, I don't know. I don't think he really won. I think it was just taunting him. What do you think? 
I feel like I don't remember enough of Larry's trajectory. Um, and I'll look forward to, I know, I know we, we learn more about it and he has interactions with Constance that I think play into this, that I don't fully remember their whole dynamic. So I'm curious right. to see that. I um, mean, maybe there is a part of him that wants to be immortalized at the house, especially because he is dying of terminal right. cancer. So he says, um, right. But I do, I totally hear you that I think this is something that you're right. All three characters are getting this little bit, don't you get it? Don't you know situation? And I think what's funny is that, you know, maybe as a viewer for the first time watching the season through, this is supposed to be a very revelatory episode in that way where you're like realizing, oh shit, especially when the ghosts come walking home at night, you're like, mm, oh shit, now, now you're like, now I understand what's happening at this house. If you die here, you get stuck here. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we're, we're looking back um, as previous viewers and the viewers who know the whole story through all the other seasons. So it's not, it's not that revelatory to us. Um, but I, I think you're absolutely right. They're hammering that message uh, throughout this, this episode. Right. Uh, meanwhile, we have, you know, Hayden calling Vivian from the netherworld. Apparently um, she can use, somehow she still has access to her, her cell phone, but it's the mystical powers <laughs> of the house, you know? Um, and we get some interesting background on Vivian here. You know, she talks about herself that she once fell in love with a married man too, um, and that that didn't go very well. And it it kind of, in my mind, maybe gives us some insight about why she gives Ben so many second chances. Um, and, you know, maybe she's more sympathetic to the situation because she's been the other woman before. Um, you know, we don't really have. We know that she used to be a cellist. I believe, is that, or viola do we know do you remember which one it is yeah I, one of those i can't remember though yeah shit i shouldn't yeah but she used to she used to be a musician and that's like really all we kind of know about vivian going well we have like a lot more background obviously on ben and some of these other characters and so that was a little bit of of interesting insight that we can you know use to project on on vivian why why she stayed in the situation for so long really despite mm-hmm. all, the, all the bens put her through um, and really, she's like, you know, she's willing to talk with Hayden and, and figure some of this stuff out. Um, then Hayden has a line where she says, you know, Ben found something in in her that he'd never find in Vivian again. And she seems to insinuate that it's like youthfulness. Um, is that what you read, too? Because it, it seems like it's something that, whatever she's insinuating, something that clearly bothers Vivian in this moment. I thought it was a baby. It was what she was alluding to because they had had the miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that she meant that's why, like, later when Hayden finds out that Vivian's pregnant, she's like, wait, what? Like, she, she's like, she, she's truly shot. Kate Mara was great in this episode, even though I still feel like the character went from zero to 100 in two episodes. But, um, but yet, yeah, I, 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 I had interpreted it as a baby. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I would, because there's a. I think right after this, there's a moment as the as the bathroom is getting fogged up, which for one thing, that bathroom needs a, a fan or some kind of better ventilation. But Hayden is saying over the phone to Vivian, you know, he he appreciates like my smooth skin and all this stuff. And we do know a little bit that like Vivian, I know, is a little bit self conscious about youth, you know, yeah. and and about being no, and around. I, and it, it, it's, I, I, I do think it's tied into you know, her fertility, you know what I mean? Cause she's been worried about oh, having sure. a quote unquote geriatric pregnancy and stuff like that. So maybe we're both right. And it's tied together. It is. I mean, Vivian doesn't know that, that Hayden's pregnant. So Vivian might assume it is youth. And, and that's why Vivian, I think tells her, Hey, I've been you. Like I, I, I fell in love with a married man and I thought everything was going to work out and he was going to come to me. It never works out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, fertility, youth, babies that's absolutely all connected so yeah, i think we're both right 
Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you know, Ben is, even though Vivian is freaking out that Hayden is in the house after she sees the writing on the mirror, Ben is again convincing people not to call the police, which is such a selfish move considering, you know, this. he keeps putting his family in danger to save his own hide here. Um, and after searching the house, he finds Hayden, well, and especially because Hayden was going to stab Vivian, let's remember that too. So he put her in danger in that way. Um, thank goodness for Luke, but anyway, I digress. Um, he finds Hayden in the basement, and she coughs up. Do we? Did you notice? Like, is this a piece of an organ? Is it a piece of like a jawbone? I couldn't exactly tell what it was. It's. I, it looked like something that zombies cough up. So I, I couldn't tell exactly what it was inside. Right. So I think she says her insides are rotting. So some oh. sort of organ, maybe. Yeah, it's nasty. It's nasty. Um, but then you know she she's so dedicated to letting Vivian know the truth. It's not really clear why that's so important to her after death is like a mission. Maybe it's just to screw over Ben because of what happened to her, I guess. Um, but Larry's there to KO Ben in the basement while Hayden goes after Vivian. Um, again, it, it, I think the thing with this episode is it's really hard to pin down what Larry's motivations are. And I don't yes. remember. I don't remember when we finally get what you know. Right? He's just a character that sows chaos at this point in time, and we don't really understand why. Right. I mean, he. He kills Hayden for Ben and then helps trap Ben with Hayden, apologizes to Hayden. Hayden says, I'll deal with you later. Uh, and then he's and she's like, I need to go deal with Vivian first or I need to go talk to Vivian. And he's like, oh, I can help. I can burn this place down. It's like, wait, you're trying to kill the Harmons now? I, I don't. Is he a pyro is what I was thinking, too? Like, he's so I mean, I know he killed his family. Be burned at the house or whatever, but I, yeah, I, he's confusing right now. Absolutely. Well, and before he blames the house for you know killing his family, but now he seems like he wants to he's kill people, too, and yeah, yeah, so it's entirely it's a little bit hard to tell at this point. Um, and so that's going on inside while Vivian is outside with Chad, who's the one who's actually smashing pumpkins, and accuses Vivian of ruining you know his one night with his guy because Patrick ran off to. Uh, do something very vulgar. I'm pretty sure Chad's gonna. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, it was funny. Uh, by now, he's probably had like four unprotected BJ's. Yeah, something mm-hmm. like that. He's on his fourth one or something like. That. Right, and this is where Viv- Vivian gets the same moment that Larry gave Ben a little bit earlier. This whole "you don't get it, do you?" Uh, message that we're hit so hard with. Um, Hayden decides she's gonna take a bath, which is kind of gross. That water turns real nasty. Um, I didn't know. I don't know. Can ghosts? I think. What's? I guess I don't know. Yeah, the rules are very vague on what how you can like physically manifest things and not. Yeah, and this house, like this episode, is just all about creating havoc in different rooms of the house. She goes, takes a bath, and lights the bathroom on fire. So Vivian storms her way in there to deal with that. Meanwhile, Hayden, I think, calls again to say that. There's something in the microwave, so she runs downstairs and is. I remember th- watching this scene for the first time so vividly and thinking, "Oh no, God, that's awful! They microwave the dog." Anytime um, there's a microwave and a small pet, that this scene was set up perfectly too, with the dog helping earlier upstairs. They they planted that seed well, I thought. But what's interesting to me is obviously we learn later that it wasn't really. I mean, we learn pretty quickly that it wasn't really the mm-hmm. dog. And Hayden tells Luke it was tomatoes. So it's like, yeah. Why does Hayden have this, like, it's almost like they give her a moment of, you know, she's not really so bad. It's, it's interesting. Like, why doesn't she just do the dog, you know? Right. It's, I mean, she's ready to, to, to cut a baby out of another woman. So why would killing her dog 
be such an issue. But maybe she does have a very strict line of like specific person that she will she think mission to do and not the other things because she's not that morbid. Right. Well, and she's also undead at this point in time. So in a we- later season, I would say that they just created this scene because they knew it'd be cool and fun and they and they forced it in <laughs> uh even though it goes against character i mean it is alarming and i will say yeah. you know as you you mentioned last week the way ryan murphy describes it is the house drops people in and out kind of mm-hmm. you know on a whim. so the, the house is controlling the people somewhat right so i don't mm-hmm. know maybe the house likes pets more than it likes humans <laughs> uh one question I wanted to ask you, because Hayden, you know, straight up says, you know, they they have the confrontation in this in the big bed in the bedroom. This is like this scene is like the culmination of the shit show, right? And you know, Hayden's in there with the glass. She's she finds out Vivian's pregnant and is so upset and freaked. Out, you know, um, realizes why Ben was so attentive to Vivian, so that's why she's going to cut it out, like you said. She also insinuates that Ben is responsible for her murder. I don't know. I I don't know that this is that's fair because Larry killed her and Ben was never going to kill her. He just mm-hmm. covered it covered it up. Do yeah. we fe- do we feel like that's a fair characterization of Ben's behavior? I do. I think I think I mean he he's hiding it because he's he's guilty by association in a way. Um but yeah, he I mean he didn't technically do the murder. Um but by hiding it I mean, he, it's kind of shitty because, like, someone kind of, like, created that situation and he had to make a more challenging choice, which is, you know, he could have got a restraining order or whatever, and that's probably what he would have done in the future. But because there's this dead body now, like, he, there's no way he could hide it yeah. without just pretending the murder didn't happen. Well, and I guess he's really buying into Larry's message of the convenience of the murder. Because, you know, mm-hmm. it, it would have been no problem. Well, so I guess Larry makes a point at, at the time he does the murder where it's like, no one's going to, you know, this woman, your mistress had your baby and was coming to collect, basically. Um, no one's going to believe I did this to begin with. So that is the one aspect of it. But Ben also buys into, you know, he doesn't want Vivian to find out and stuff. So he buys into Larry's vision of things a little bit. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe he does deserve everything he gets. <laughs> um, but man, so things are happening very fast paced at this point. We have Hayden and yeah. Vivian upstairs. Larry's pouring gasoline all across the living room to burn the house down, uh, which frankly would have been a blessing if he'd burned the house down. Um, <laughs> but Chad confronts him, and so Chad is obviously dead. Larry is not. So Chad is acting, I think, on behalf of the house here to prevent Larry from destroying it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, while also the house <laughs> is sending Nora, the house is sending Nora to the basement to free Ben, even though the other part of the house, Hayden, is trying to cut the baby out of Vivian upstairs. So, I don't know. It's the puppets are confusing in this a little bit. Yeah, I think ultimately the house is manipulating like the the people through the ghosts, particularly the Harmons, who don't need any more of this, but really trying to stress their marriage and, and push them farther and farther away from each other. So by Ben having to run upstairs in the nick of time for the confession really puts Ben and Vivian uh, like done, donezo. Whereas if Hayden was able to kill Vivian or pull the baby out, and we don't really know, uh, can, I don't think we know if ghosts can actually harm people in the house yet. I know they can scare people and we know a monster could kill some or hurt someone, but... 
Um, so uh, yeah. anyway, I'm not sure, and I'm not sure if we've seen that yet. That's a fair uh, question because is the infantata considered a ghost or just a monster? It's hard to tell. Right, right. <laughs> uh, also, the entire time in this whole sequence, where you know, obviously, like right, sort of around this time, Vivian or sorry, uh, Violet and Tate show up. I'm like, how is all this going on in the house and no one's running into anyone? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. oh, actually, big house. I mean. Maybe they're at anyway. Um, so so that that anyway that's why I think the house is like timing the ghosts. So we get Vivian and Ben to really hate each other, or not hate each other, but just be completely broken. Well, and that's an interesting theory too, because we st- if we step back and look at it that way, you know, Hayden was never going to cut the baby out of Vivian. Um, right. it, like the house knew it was doing all along, and if we think about how this translates to apocalypse, spoiler alert for future season, maybe the house knew that you know. Michael, mm-hmm. in order to reach his full potential as the Antichrist, could not be could not have been parented by a healthy relationship between Ben and Vivian, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe the only way to get him to where he was was for Constance to step in as his caretaker, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, it, it adds some interesting perspective when you try to think of it that Playing way. the long game, the house is... Right. Um, but Luke comes in a little bit and spoils things, too, with everybody in the bedroom. I mean, I tried to picture myself in Luke's shoes at this point. Uh, what a bizarro scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. And Hayden has some very, uh, like, I feel like Juliet-style lines here. Like, we were in love. He was just too guilty to leave her and says some things as Don is, is arising. And, um you know, she disappears in in the car on as soon as they arrive at the station. Um, and I I don't remember if this is the last we see of Hayden in this season or not. Um, I, I mean, we she, see her. We we do see her again once or twice, but but not as focused on her because I I remember something later on, but she's not as big of a a character who's present. I believe. Um, because when I when we started watching this, I didn't already. I didn't remember her being this big of a player in it. I thought she wasn't that like wasn't as uh, main character, main player, I should say. Right. Well, in terms of her spirit, I mean, maybe she's already kind of fulfilled her role in separating. You know, mm-hmm. having Vivian learn the truth, even though Vivian still doesn't know that Hayden's body is dead beneath the gazebo. Um, right. And you know, theoretically, people are going to come looking for. You know, someone would know Hayden came out about you know. LA at some point and wonder what happened to her. Um, I don't remember if the detectives come back looking for her or not. That's something I'll be looking forward to uh, seeing if, if we get any continuation on that in, in future episodes. But, you know, this particular storyline leaves with Ben sadly packing up his stuff and, you know, sorrowfully reviewing the family photo of happier times and gives her that really depressing kiss on the forehead before leaving the house. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty, I mean, no matter they've they've definitely gone through a lot and it's one of those you know a lot of choices were made that were horrible choices but you still kind of it still hurts to see them separate and not because there's so many forces working to pull them apart one of them being ben's innate shittiness but um but i do believe that there's there there was a strong relationship at one point and hopefully we'll they can redeem themselves now this, this is essentially the first arc of the of the three arc story i feel like there's some part of me that's compelled to feel like well you know i don't know that ben is really such a bad guy at his core but then when you look at the string of behavior he's had 
Man, that's hard to it's hard yeah. to defend. It's hard to defend. So, let's go through the Tate and Vivian portion, which I think is also potentially more interesting. So Tate and Vivian are getting freaky on the beach, are about to, um, and she's ready to give it all up to Tate. But he pulls back. Question for you is, what makes him stop here? Yeah, he says he's never done it with a girl before. Um, and I'm not going to mention, and I think that the, the word girl was a very important choice of words. Um and he says, oh, maybe your dad's got me this medication that's messed me up, which we you know is not true because ghosts don't take medication even if he's supposed to be taking it um, or if, even if he's prescribed it. Um, I think he actually has feelings for her and he's just not wanting to, I believe that he really like does have feelings for her and he doesn't want to take her virginity, I guess, which is not something that happens when you're 17, but when we learn a little bit more about a story, maybe he's not technically 17 and it does feel a little weird. Well, I mean, we know that probably Tate in reality, if it had been his real age, is probably in his mid thirties, actually. Yeah. They're one of the cheerleaders at the end says I should be 34 years old and have be married and have kids right now. Right. Um, I, I think that you're, you're hitting on something there. And the other thing I was thinking is, especially if Tate really does have feelings for her, you know, he potentially knows that some not so good stuff happens when a ghost has sex with a human. Uh, and so, yes. so maybe he, ca- he cares about Violet too much to expose her to that at this point. That's probably what, yeah, I like that more. I like that a lot more. So that's just a thought. Um, mm-hmm. But we do in this whole scene get a lot of insight into Tate's frame of mind and, and kind of uh, some clarity on what as a ghost like what he at this point remembers and doesn't you know um he talks a lot about high school here but he talks about it in the past tense he talks about missed opportunities um he almost seems to express some kind of remorse or regret um you know he says a line here high school is just a blip on your timeline you know don't get stuck there or something like that is what he was telling himself when he was at this beach before in the past which of course we know is very ironic now considering he's forever pretty much stuck at the age he was in high school and Mm -hmm. in that mindset um, but as they're there at the beach, you know, that group of high schoolers descends on them. Um, and he genuinely doesn't appear to recognize them. Uh, they say he's been in hiding for a long time. So we know that even past Halloween's, he hasn't really left the house, at least not in a way that he's been very easy to find. Maybe not at his usual stomping grounds from when he was alive. Um, I don't know. It's it's a little bit of a jarring scene because we're finally getting you know as you're watching this if you're watching this the first time through you're getting clarity on some of Tate's backstory and it kind of it comes in some disturbing ways in this episode. Um, obviously, yeah. the upcoming we'll have I don't know if it's the next episode or the one after that where we have the actual scene of what happened and that, I remember that being maybe the most disturbing episode of this series. So mm-hmm. yeah. No, I I also want to give um, a shout out to the and I looked them up the the makeup team for this episode because the one dude with the jaw that's just dripping is just so well done i mean tate thinks they're masks and they could kind of be really good masks or makeup effects but the person who led the makeup department was aaron kruger mccash uh she did a bunch of um of american horror story stuff and i thought that it was good because it was done just enough you're like "Eh, it could be a makeup but reality it's 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 real so yeah kudos to that to that team and throughout the course of the night the group kind of follows them around obviously back to the house and stuff and they they're dropping hints 
um, that maybe, you know, something bad happened that Tate was involved in. And it really does seem to jar Violet to a certain extent. Um, you know, she goes out to confront them when they're back at the house. And that's when she learns that they aren't actually Halloween costumes. You know, they tell her about the incident at the high school that we presume, I, I know for sure, she goes and looks it up in one of these upcoming episodes, so that's how we get some of the backstory there. Mm-hmm. Um, but before any actual answers are revealed, Tate kind of pied pipers them away by running out there and having them all chase him. But it's too late. The seed's been planted, right? Yeah, I, I, I gotta say, like, it was, this was really, the teenagers, at first I was like, when they see him on the beach, that's like, all oh, cliche, whatever. And then when they really talk to her about what does she know, what does she really know, it's that this is a re- especially the two um, women or girls actors do a really good job, I think, of of selling like the beginnings of what this tragedy actually means to them. You start hearing things, and it starts starting to click for us too as a viewer. Like, oh, these people are not maybe in costume. Like, the, like they are showing up and they are talking about something real and Tate. It first seemed, and this is also credit to um, Evan Peters playing it like, you know, I don't know them. And he sells it like he doesn't know them, but we, you know, he's been manipulative in the past. Does he really not know them? Obviously, it's it's whatever. But uh, anyway, I just want to, the, the actors did a pretty good job in this, including um, Taisa. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember watching this particular uh, sequence of events the first time I watched, you know, the first time we watched season one and really feeling like this was like this was so eye opening because it's like, it, you know, we had had a feeling that something weird was up with Tate's background up until this point that we didn't really know what it was. And you really kind of you, you get some very clear hints throughout this purpose. You know, we see the you know, I you see the high schoolers descend and at first it's like, okay, now we're finally understanding, you know, where Tate goes to school and stuff. But then you're like, oh, shit, these are actually we know the undead walk on Halloween, maybe something is happening mm-hmm. here. Well, the it was walk. kind of fun. <laughs> the dead walk. It's kind of funny the way he tries to lure them away, though. It's like, got to catch me first. Boop. <laughs> and, and then he just runs back to that kinda, same beach. Uh, and basically. Yeah. Says, I used to be in track. And they're like, we know. <laughs> yeah. That's, and, that was kind of stupid. Yeah. And they seem to wake him up to what he, and it seems like he really didn't remember. Like he, he had blocked it out of his mind. And, you know, maybe that's what some of those conversations with Ben from previous episodes show us is that he had, you know, maybe he does, has felt such guilt from it or something like that. He had kind of walled it off in his head, but you start to get the flashes of him in that outfit back at the school and the 34 year old comment yeah. we talked about. I worked it out, and it right. seems like, it seems like basically the incident would have happened probably between 1991 and 1995, if we're timing it out right. That's when Tate would have been in high school at that point in time. So, mm. it's been it's been a little while. It's been a little while that he's he's been in quote unquote in hiding. Um, right. But Violet doesn't really have a whole lot of time to think it through because Constant whisks her away to tell her about Addie's death. Um, which she blames on Violet, um, even though she's kind of, she kind of is still nice to Violet. Um, worth noting that she's, you know, wearing her nightgown. She's not her, she's not wearing her, her shield of like being all dressed up. It's, you know, we've talked about this with her earrings before. It's like, she's more willing to be vulnerable when Mm -hmm. she's not in her makeup and all that type of stuff. Um, you know, we see this scene, this very intense scene of 
Addie and you know Addie's dead on the table and Constance is putting makeup on her and finally in death Constance does put the makeup on her and talks about so she's a pretty girl yeah pretty girl she you know she has the line here when a child dies it's immortality that a parent loses um I mean I was curious what your like what is Constance's thought process why did she change paths here now that Addie's dead she puts the makeup on her um is there some kind of growth that the Constance character has had from this experience yeah I mean we don't really so she says she's you know she's had kids and Violet says you have ki- you have more than Addie she didn't know that and then we obviously have that revelation um, and as far as we know it seems like Addie's the last child that she has so it's the last like sliver of this um, you know immortality that she thinks that she has and I, I wrote that quote down too because it I think it hits perfectly um, it's one of the comforts of having children is knowing one's youth has not fled but merely passed down to a new generation so like if you're middle-aged or whatever you're like oh my youth is going away as soon as you have a kid you're young again because there's something else that you can that's going gonna be that is young that's part of who you are and the second part of the quote is they say when a parent dies a child feels his own mortality but when a child dies it's immortality that a parent loses and that is exactly what i think um Constance lost she had her last living child die um she wanted to try to preserve Addie by taking her to the house so she could still have some semblance of this like immortality that she had when she had children um you know that's possibly why she's got this younger boyfriend or call boy or rent boy (laughs) um and also why she still like does herself up and you know really tries to like glam glamorize herself I think that that's really, this is her at the end. Um, And I do want to point out, I think she did say to Violet, you know, after a little bit, she says, you know, I know you're just trying to be nice to her. Like they kind of, it was kind of like a, a, you know, a a touche. It is. And I I was going to say the same thing that I don't think, I don't think Constance really believes that Violet is the one who is responsible for Addie's death. I think she probably, you know, this she transformation. Of it. Well, yeah, when you think about the fact that she's the one who gave the mask that basically took away all of Addie's peripheral vision, that's, I mean, she is kind of directly responsible. So, I mean, maybe there is that a little bit of that revelation. Um, and, you know, as we know the trajectory of how things go, I think, you know, Constance losing her last living child tees her up for another opportunity to raise a child. Um, and then, uh, of course, she says the other thing about not telling, you know, she reveals Tate is her son and then not telling Tate that Addie has died because they had a special connection and that would really upset him, which we already know he's at a very uh, fragile place after probably what happened at the beach. So, um, yeah. you know, you know uh, not remember. I think next week's episode is the Piggy Piggy episode. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't entirely remember everything that happens in that episode, but, I mean, there's going to be some clear reckonings uh, based on things that happened this week. Yeah, yeah. I liked that this episode really... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to my wrap-up. The only last thing to cover is that scene you already talked about. As Halloween ends, all the spirits kind of join together, walk back to the murder house, and I like how they kind of relate their experiences. Like, how did your night go? <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, this is kind of the big revelation of the episode that they've been that Larry hinted at and that Chad hinted at and that Tate and the other people hinted at is that, you know, this is, I think, as a viewer, we come to, you know, it's really made as clear as possible that like ghosts can walk it you know on halloween but during the rest of the time they're all just alive on the house premises right i love that scene 
It's a great one. It's a great one. So, uh, yeah, fi- give me your final thoughts on it. Well, like, why would you have to walk home? Obviously, we learned from Hayden that you can just, like, apparate back to the house. <laughs> they all are walking back. Um, where, maybe where maybe they... not till dawn, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, is this, like, the purge where Halloween technically ends at, like, 7 a.m. or something? For, like, from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m.? It's you at 12 hours? I don't know. But, but, the then, rules but, are. but Tate was out in the daytime, too, so hard to say. Yeah. Uh, that's true yeah so they're pretty loosey loosey goosey on the uh hour time frame or the tower the time frame of when halloween starts and begins anyway um i think this a few things stand out the 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 tension with vivian and hayden when she's hunting through the house with the golf club and the dog is missing i think that was all pretty fun that was a great kind of spooky uh scene i love the um the the essential like haunted house movie that we got in this episode with ghosts whom we've already met popping up in different locations playing different roles um i think that was actually kind of fun it was like a fun scary movie um that worked really well um i think the first time i watched this i was like ah god too many people but now that i know who these people are and i'm maybe watching it a little differently because we were doing a podcast about it i loved it i, I love that nora montgomery showed up in the basement it's like you do not fail your family. You are not going to fail your... Because that's such her character, like what she does. So it was, this episode was really, really good. And again, the, the teenagers, particularly the, the the cheerleader who said, you know, I should be 34 with babies and married. And, like, and just, she sold it, man. She was great. Uh, and I and my heart actually broke when they're revealing their tragic lives to, Vi- or to Violet. And all the uh, things, so that, really the experiences good. they didn't get to have because of what happened. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then um, Constance's quote about being a parent really registered with me a bit. I never thought of it like that, and I totally get it now. <laughs> um, I have not lost a child, and I hope to never do that. Um, but, you know, that's something that when you're, I know when a, a, an adult figure in your life dies, it does feel like, you know, someone who you thought was invincible when you're young, but young. Um, that's kind of a big thing to, to lose someone. Uh, and realize, oh, I am mortal. Like I'm not protected forever, and that's that's the trade-off, I guess. Um, only question I had that was a little weird was like, why did why was um, Constance at the morgue? Like I know that they probably had to take Addie to the morgue, but why did she go to the morgue and like and they like pulled her out so she could see her again? Like it's not like she had to like identify her. That that was seemed a little weird to me, just to force that makeup scene. I get. Anyway, overall, I loved 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 this episode it was really good i thought part one and part two together just tell such a great story and this is like peak american horror story when they're really nailing it um the more i've talked about it the more i might go up a little bit so i was going to give this a 4.5 which is what i gave the last one but i think i'm gonna give this 4.75 rubber men it was just really good it just hit all the arcs and really resolved itself in some tragic ways which i love a not a happy ending at the end of a a scary movie but there's still some optimism in certain things that could or could not happen when the credits roll Mm -hmm. What, what did you think my favorite part of this episode i think is definitely the trajectory that you have with um getting tate's background with violet and then you know him having that realization with all the other high school kids i do think those are it's done pretty powerfully um and i think you know that's almost in this episode if you think you know there's almost two mysteries that are being answered a little bit in this particular episode one is the one about you know spirits you know walking at halloween and then also you know people die on the premises of the house stay on the premises of the house and the other one is that 
I mean, we could go ahead and say it at this point because it's very much insinuated here. Tate does. Tate is responsible for a school shooting, right? Yes. And I think that is almost the to me. To me, I mean, but at this point in time, I think we, you know, even watching for the first time, we pretty much understand already that if a spirit dies on the premises of the house, they're staying there. But the Tate revelation is more jarring and more upsetting. I don't know, um, more disturbing, and it will be even more so when we actually see it happen. But to me, that makes that particular sequence of events more powerful. Um, and then also, like you were saying too, I do think that while Constance is not in this particular episode a whole lot, um, her moments are very powerful um, in kind of revisiting what had happened with Addie and her views about, you know, parenting and stuff like that are, you know, they, I don't, I don't have kids, but I understand it. And it like, I, it resonates, you know, I also do really like um, that we finally get to the point where, Ben has to confess what happened with with uh, Hayden. It doesn't get drawn out too long, so we. Get, I mean, this episode is very fast paced when you think about all the stuff and that happens in that house. Um, yeah, I think my biggest criticism with this episode is Larry, um, and honestly, uh, you know, in this year, in even in this series up until this point, he's like a little gremlin that you can't really figure out what what his motives are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. When and he I, shows up, you're like, I, I don't want you here right now. Go away. Yeah, and even though I think we find out more about it later on, I kind of wish that they had given us a little bit more with him earlier so it didn't just, you know, so we had some idea of his motivation because he's just popping up at all these places, like, like I said, kind of being this agent of chaos without really, I mean, I don't know. I feel like it would potentially, I don't know, matter more to me or be more powerful if we understood, like, why. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So maybe I would just reorient his, you know, how they weave in his backstory a little bit more. But still, as you said, I think episode, Halloween 1 and 2, they pair together perfectly. Um, very, very smooth. Uh, great storytelling. Um, I really enjoy this episode as well. You said you gave it a 4.75? Yep. I'm going to give it a 4.5. So I think really solid. Um, I think really it's just that little Larry bit that dropped it that quarter point from where you're mm-hmm. at. But that's kind of where I'm coming from. So solid score, right? That's a 9.25. So, Yeah, that's good. It's an A. I mean, hey, season one episodes for us so far have been real consistent. Um, we're getting into that murky area where on mm-hmm. other seasons of American Horror Story, things start to get a little flimsy. Um, it's hard for me to remember. So we'll see if things hold up um, as as they have so far but yeah i don't know i'm looking forward to it piggy piggy next week so we'll see what happens yeah all righty chris so between now and next week where can people find you i am on instagram and twitter at chris Husted, chris with a k how about you tyler you can check me out on twitter at tjmoss11 you can uh, email us your questions and comments at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com or join our community at facebook.com slash thisamericanhorrorstory Um, And please rate us, review us on iTunes and Stitcher. That means a lot to us. And we really appreciate your feedback and try to incorporate it in as best we can. Thanks again for joining us for this rewatch season of American Horror Story Murder House. We're so thrilled to have you here. It's been a lot of fun, Um, especially as we get closer to Halloween. This this show just feels so right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So that being said, until next week, folks, uh, happy hunting.